Welcome to the Autobahn Country Club Podcast, where your host, club member John Graybeal, opens the doors to America's premier auto sports club. Now, here's John. We like coming in hot when we're just talking. Welcome to the Autobahn Country Club Podcast. I'm your host, John Graybeal, joined this day, which is... Cinco de Mayo! Or otherwise known at, in the cart track, Mark's favorite day, because he gets to drink margaritas all day. Are you going to the cart track today? No. I just drink margaritas on Wednesday, on Cinco de Mayo, a lot of them. Oh, well, joined here with me is, of course, the great producer, Mark McFarland. Thanks for joining us here today on Cinco de Mayo morning. Not a problem. I enjoy being here. Hey, big uh, weekend at the track with the uh, horse race, big horse race. Not at the and track, though. The horse race wasn't at the track. No, but there was a horse. But there was a horse, of course. There was yeah. a horse. If you didn't come out to the track, you, uh, you missed the horse. The horse was cool. And racing, all kinds of racing. Cart, mm-hmm. First cart race of the year. Uh, first wings and things race of the year. First radical race of the year. Third Miata race of the year. There's a lot of racing going on. Yeah. It was like a festival weekend almost. It was. And I, I will have a to do a plug out to Extreme Experience. Is that what that thing's called? Yes. The Extreme Experience where they come in and they bring all these super fancy uh, cars in for people to drive. That place was, I mean, on the South Track, it was, there was thousands of people every day, I bet. It was packed and controlled and, you know... Very look like it like they you can tell they have this thing down to an art because they were just going through the people quick, getting them in the cars, getting them out of the cars. Yeah, it was there was there was a lot. I didn't really go down. I was so busy. I didn't really go down and look at all the cars, but there were some cool cars. But boy, they were busy. It seemed to me they were busier than normal when they come. It looked that way. So anyway, that was all cool. And uh, this well, a little. Um, preview into today's show which we have john oliver years ago back in season one the former the season one the former chairperson of the uh members committee joined us i think it was uh rob weednar i think it was um show two even i think who talked about the member committee and what they did uh-huh. now we have a new member committee no same member committee, <laughs> new chairperson, chairperson of the committee, John Oliver, just took over uh, for his stint as the chair of that committee. So we visit with John here uh, and talk just a little bit about his background. You know, he's a railroader. Oh, really? Yeah, my grandpa was a railroader. So, uh, you know, we are in common with railroading. And you're sort of like a, you're you're a, like sort of like a railroader in a way. A I'm a conductor. Yeah, yeah a- that's funny that a lot of terms in the airline industry, a lot of terms come from come railroad. from railroad. For example, now that you mention it, deadheading is what I, a railroader told me. I said, we were talking, and he mentioned he was deadheading. And I said, oh, that's what we call it in the airline business, which when you are getting paid but actually sitting in the back of the airplane, we call that deadheading. And I guess that comes from... In the old days, they would get in the train and – oh, wait a minute. Now I've messed the story up. I think it was – no, no, no. I got it. It was something to do with the carnivals. Like if you got on the carnival train and you didn't pay to get on the train, then they wouldn't count you. So they'd say, hey, we got 10 people out there and we got one deadhead. 
Ah, not not a Grateful Deadhead, just a Deadhead. Just a Deadhead. Okay. So I'm sure somebody will f- tell me the correct <laughs> history of that term. I just kind of want that job where you sit in the back of a plane and somebody pays you. That, that can I just do that full time? Yes, you can. I believe that's called a air marshal. Oh. Well, so, yeah. No, I just don't want to do anything. I just want to sit and drink in the back of the Oh, well. Somebody pays me to do that. One of the greatest scenes ever, uh, Bridesmaids, when uh, uh, Melissa McCarthy's character is sitting right next to her husband in real life, with yeah. John, the uh, the air marshal. Have you seen Bridesmaids? A uh, while ago, yeah. Oh, man, that, that scene in the airplane is... I know you're an air marshal. I got you covered. You know, no, no, no carry-ons. I'm not an air marshal, ma'am. Oh, that's a great scene. I love it. <laughs> then, it, then there's the big disturbance, you know, with uh, Kristen Wiig, and he jumps up. I got this. I'm an air marshal. I'm an air I marshal. I knew it. I knew it. Uh, anyway, that's a great scene. So there, there you go. You could get a, a job as that, or you could get a job as um, I don't know who else sits in the back and gets paid. I don't know. I kind of like the job I have, so I guess I'll just keep this one. Uh, be kind of boring sitting in the back of an airplane all day long, I would think. Probably. Probably gets pretty boring sitting in the front of the airplane all day. Until it's not. <laughs> Until it's not. <laughs> then it changes. Anyway, so one thing that I noticed we've I've been talking about, uh, you are an avid podcast listener, not only the best podcast out of on Country Club Podcast, yep. but you also listen to a bunch of car podcasts. Yes, I so do. I wanted to take this time and w- what are some of your favorites? Which are the ones you, that you like? Um, I like uh, the Smoking Tire podcast with Matt Farah. Um, and he does a lot of supercar tests and you know other automobile tests. But it's, uh, it's kind of like our show right now, too. It's just banter and he gets good interviews in with a lot of famous people and drivers. And then um, Spike Ferriston. Uh, Spike used to be a writer for uh, Letterman and then wrote for Seinfeld, wrote the famous uh, soup Nazi um, story and avid Porsche car collector. Uh, Wasn't he the director too? Didn't he? I don't know if Spike directed. I I mean, I don't know the guy personally, but I am Facebook friends with him, which is interesting. I do remember seeing his name because I've seen every Seinfeld episode multiple times. I do remember seeing his name on the... So yeah. him, uh, and then the guy uh, on that show, uh, they, they're just real big, avid Porsche collectors. Hence, Jerry Seinfeld, as we all know, has a Porsche collection that bring tears to your eyes. Uh, and um, what else do I – then I watch a couple on uh, YouTube. So, the, and, so Spike's podcast is just all about Porsches? Uh, no, it's it, they try not to, but it always ends up being at least – a discussion about Porsches at least once. Uh, there's a, a lawyer on the show with him that they always do at least one imitation of him. Um, but it's very comedic-based. And unlike our show, he's very focused on, because he worked in television, he's very focused on that one-hour or 30-minute show. It's like, oh, got to go. End of show. <laughs> it's like, oh, okay. But, yeah, very yeah, – um, what other ones do I listen to? Uh uh, you listen to some old ones too, Click and Clack. Uh, click and Clack, what's that? I mean, it's it's an old car talk show. It was really good. A um, bunch of other ones too. I can't even think of them all. And then I watched a bunch on YouTube. Um, and Hope and Haggerty. Speaking of, watch how I pull this all together, John. Haggerty, 
who is a proud sponsor of the Autobahn, Autobahn. has a great YouTube uh, television shows on YouTube about different things that are very famous. People are doing different talks, uh, shows on it. They've sponsored it. Uh, just go to the Haggerty YouTube channel and you'll find it there. Um, but really great things like actually Matt Farah, and you might like this, uh, took out the yellow bird. If you know what the yellow bird is, are you familiar with the yellow bird, John? I am not. Maybe I have. I think you told me about it. It's a uh, night. I for, it's right when the McLaren F1 came out, and the Yellow Bird was almost as fast as the McLaren F1. Uh, just look it up if you don't know the car. It's a famous car. It's extremely fast. Uh, it's pushing over 500 and something horse out of a 911 back in the like the early late 80s. Um, just wicked crazy fast. So um, and very very rare. There's only like 27 of them. So, uh, but it's a pretty cool thing. Uh, so definitely check out the Haggerty YouTube page uh, and see that all the things that Haggerty's doing because they are a proud sponsor of the Autobahn. And so us going to those web pages definitely drives business for them too. Yeah, I don't listen to many uh, car podcasts, but every day I probably watch one car YouTube mm-hmm. video. What's your and- favorite? Uh, Doug DeMuro. Yeah, I know Doug DeMuro. He's been on. The, he's been on a couple. He's been on Spike Show. He's been on The Smoking Tire. Yeah, it's a pretty interesting story about just some who's self-described dorky guy who just, you know, just started doing these YouTube videos, and then he did that Porsche Carrera one, which was his longest longest one, and that hit and millions of views, and now he uh, is you know millions of subscribers and making a killing, and then parlayed off of that into cars and bids which is like a bring a trailer but Mm -hmm. it's a little newer cars you know modern enthusiast cars and he's got a good story about why he started that and and you know it basically says every youtube guy thinks that it's all going to stop tomorrow (laughs) because they can't believe they're doing it and it's working and you know and it's all gonna the whole whole thing's gonna gonna blow up yeah it's gonna blow up tomorrow so but yeah. his his car reviews, I mean, if there's a car that I'm interested in, he, I believe he's got the best reviews of any cars out there that does a really, really good job. The other one that I watch pretty uh, often is, well, there's two other other ones, actually. One is The Throttle House. Have you seen these two guys from, no. from Canada? They are as good, I'm going to make a big statement here. As, Don't go that big. You I can't go, go that, that big. big. They are as good as Top Gear. The oh, video, that's a statement. They don't have as many subscribers or views as Doug Moran. I don't know who's funding them because they don't seem to have a commercial, but their cinematography, if that's even a word for car shows, cinematography and camera work is equal to what they did for Top Gear and the banter back and forth. These guys are just hilarious. They just do a super, super job. It's up, they're up in Canada and they should have their own show they should be the host of Top Gear because they are that good. I don't know who's writing stuff for them. What's but it called again? It's Throttle House. I will. I will look at that Throttle House. And then the other one is Normal Guy Supercar. There's a guy out of Austin. Is a tech guy who got a Ferrari and started doing videos about it, and now has a whole bunch of other um, avenues all around okay. supercars. He'll help you find and buy a supercar. Help you fix it. And, 
all kinds of stuff. Those Understand are my three. that when you buy a hundred thousand dollar Lamborghini and you think you're getting a really good deal, and then you have a thirty five thousand dollar motor, you know, repair on it because the clutch went because it's an engine out. Yeah, yeah. There's they actually normal guy supercar and Doug Demura have a uh, three levels of separation or something that there's a, a car company out in California that's gone kind of. Doug used to do a lot of reviews of them out there and they have, uh, have some massive business trouble and a bunch of customers who are very unhappy, but Ooh, you can go check I know the story. <clears throat> yeah, it's pretty bad. So you can go check, check those websites, you know, normal guy, supercar for particularly, and you want to yeah. feel bad for people. <laughs> I guess, I don't know. I guess he's trying to help people too. So some people have gotten help and got their money back, but anyway, it's a bad situation out there. Um, so anyway, those are uh, there's those hundreds are of, of them. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, do you have Do you have any YouTube ones that you like? Um, I like Shmi. Every once in a while, Shmi. Sure. Have you, have you ever big. watched? He's big. Yeah. yeah. Just and the he was actually here in the states this year, and then last year he was in the states and actually came through Naperville because uh, he went over to the garages in Naperville because he's building a museum and wanted some ideas and actually. Uh, walked a couple of the garages over there and looked at some of the cars there. Iron, Iron Gate? Is yeah, Iron Gate, yep. Um, Supercar Blondie. Uh, just, oh, yeah. She's just, good, yeah. She's just really, you know, she didn't have anything and just really liked cars. Um, who else? Uh, Glucker, Jeff Glucker is one a guy I watch as well. Um, and then there's a guy, oh, I forgot his name. He basically buys totaled out supercars. That are like totaled and rebuilds them. Oh, is that the guy in Florida? Yes. Um, yeah, that's pretty cool. Uh, yeah, he goes. Uh, oh, I, I have seen him. I don't watch him all the time, but I have seen him. Yeah, he started out with um, with nothing and yeah. and, and then and I watched Supercar Speeders, which is completely. Uh, it started off as a really bad thing because you know they'd just be racing across the United States as fast as they can, doing a cannonball. Um, but then they matured a little bit, and uh, now it's you know he owns um, Gotham Dream Cars, which is uh, in Manhattan. It's a car supercar rental place, and just talks about owning you know that many supercars and renting them out, and things that happen to his supercars, which is kind of interesting. Like you know, someone will blow a tire, and instead of just telling them, they'll go to like a junkyard and put a new tire on the rim, thinking that they won't notice it, and. You know, just all the stuff that happens in their cars and how they people try to steal them and wreck them. So that's pretty good. Too. Oh, what, what's that? What's that's called? Supercar speeders. Supercar speeders. Yeah, that one. Um, Sam Crack. Is it Sam Crack? No, I don't think yeah. that was it. Oh well. S A M C R A C. Sam Crack. Okay. So, anywho, uh, what do we got? So. Let's go to the end of this. Uh, what do we got coming up for? I thought people just wanted us to hear us just tap on the computer and search YouTube videos. Yeah, and we could play. You know what, though? Then we could play them in the background and get sued by YouTube. Let's welcome member committee chair John Oliver on the Audubon Country Club podcast. John Oliver, welcome to the Audubon Country Club podcast. Thanks for joining us. Oh, thanks for having me, John. Uh, you... Uh, are the mem uh, chairman of the membership committee? Is that right? Chairman of the members That's committee. That's correct. That's correct. Yes. Yep. And um, 
Well, I always like to start it kind of at the beginning. Uh, where where were you born? Where'd you grow up? Well, I was born in uh, Dearborn, Michigan, but I grew up in basically in Lagrange, Illinois, suburb okay. of Chicago. So not not too far away, right? No, no. <laughs> and uh, so, uh, did you? I know a little bit about your background, but did you get into cars pretty early on, even before you were sixteen, or? Yeah, I had my first car before I was 16. And uh, so my, my dad was really good about letting us uh, tinker with things. So uh, I, I, I loved to do it when I was, when I was little. But yeah, I went through many cars. So I used to buy them, fix them up, sell them. Uh, oh, really? And uh, yeah, I kind of got into sports cars. My brother bought a, uh, a Jaguar E-Type. Uh, oh, God, I don't know how long. It was a long time ago. But uh that kind of got me interested in it, and uh, I ended up uh, getting a couple of junk um, MGBs and putting them together, and, and uh, that was kind of my my start into sports cars. <laughs> Did you go kart race before before the cars? Did you go kart race as a young younger person? No, or other... in, uh, I I did a little uh, motocross racing on uh, in high school, uh, not very long, um, but I really. And then, you know, as I grew up, I had various sports cars and would occasionally do uh, like a driver's ed type thing. Um, not not very frequently, maybe maybe once a year. Um, and then, you know, it was about 2010, I guess. Um, I knew about karting and um, I went out and I bought uh, two go-karts, one for me and one for my son. Uh, so he would have been uh, like... Uh, 2021 20, at, at the time um so we started going going go-kart racing so and it was uh it was actually um the 206 was just getting started then uh, and we started racing those um with a similar program as we have here with the ignite with the hard tires and it's a just a wonderful program you know the motors are are so consistent from from motor to motor and the tires last and are consistent for almost a full season so uh you can just concentrate on your racing that was, that was a lot of fun we had a we had a good time with that. and you were were you travel were you just going out to i'm assuming uh was it concept haulers is that the nor norway is that right. primarily we where started, you were doing we that? started there um and then um we started racing over in south bend at mrp Oh yeah. Uh, and then yeah. we started doing a little traveling with uh, Route 66. Went down to Springfield, uh, I think once or twice, and ra- raced down there too. Not super serious, but um, it was fun. We had a great time. We'd oh. like to just go to the track and run too with each other. What year did you kind of get involved with the Autobahn? So that was 2015. Um, I joined as a social member. Um, and at that time I had a Lotus Elise, uh, and I started coming out and, uh, you know, of course we had the carts and we brought the carts out here too, um, and had a really good time and, and then decided that I wanted to be a a full member, uh, the following year. And so I joined as a full member and then decided that I wanted a, uh, a, a race, race car, full track car. So I looked around and uh, I chose the, the Formula Mazda. Uh, it, it's a lot like a felt a lot like a go kart to me, and 
I wasn't really into the racing so much as just kind of the tracking. Um, so rather than get a spec Miata, I decided on the Formula Mazda. Plus, I like to work on the cars myself. Uh, and the Formula Mazda is a great car. Very simple. Um, the parts are readily available. Uh, so it's been, it's been a lot of fun. I still have it. Matter of fact, I just got out of a session just a few minutes ago. <laughs> <laughs> Very nice. So, so when you're working on the cars, did you learn, maybe when you were tinkering around with cars as a young kid, did your dad help you or did you, you and your brother, or did you just, how did you learn all that? Oh, I guess I just kind of picked it up on my own, I guess. Um, of course, there was, there was no YouTube at the time, but, uh, you know, if, like I bought a big manual for the MGB, you know, the big shop manual that, that basically showed everything torn apart. And then I just kind of went for it, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> that, that, that intimidates me. That intimidates me yeah. quite, quite a bit. I don't, I, I either have to watch somebody do something or a, yeah, a YouTube video or, or see it done before I tackle it myself. My, um, my son, he's a he'll d- dive into it probably quicker than I will. I think sometimes. Well, I don't I don't know what came first or whether it's just just the way I'm built, but um, I've all the, the tinkering stuff made sense to me, and then I went and got a degree in mechanical engineering from the University of Illinois. So, yeah, I'm an en- engineer by background, anyways. <laughs> That's kind of fun. You look at it and you try to figure out, okay, well, what did the engineer that designed this? What was he thinking? When, when he designed it this way. So sometimes that's kind of fun. Too. Your time down in, in University of Illinois, what kind of engineering degree do you have? Uh, mechanical. I, I often say, you know, if I, if I had to do it again, I probably should have been a mechanical engineer. Um, I, I got to be honest, that when I was a kid, my grandpa was a railroader. I, I thought an engineer drove a train. I had really, I mean, I graduated high school and didn't know what an engineer did. I, did, I thought that was the only kind of engineer all the way through high school. So, but if I had to do it again, I, I think mechanical engineering would, would, uh, probably suit me. I think I would find that fascinating. And, uh, I mentioned railroads and that's what you're, that's kind of what you, what you do, right? That's right. Yeah. I, I work for a company that, that manufactures components for railroad cars. And, uh, my primary, uh, interest is, is in, in the wheels. So we, we manufacture wheels. Uh, we have, you know, four manufacturing plants in the U.S., one in Canada, and we have some, oh, in Brazil and China and South Africa. So Holy cow. Is it based in Chicago there or around the area? Yeah. Uh, the headquarters is based in Chicago. Yeah. 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 I uh-huh. got I got a job with them uh, right out of school, and so I've got like 41 and a half years with the company. Oh, no, really? <laughs> Are you working um, uh, re- remotely? Have you always worked remote, or did it is just just you know, this past year? Or? Well, you know, our our business has changed. Uh, you know, the the wheel business headquarters used to be in Chicago, and then there was some. We did some consolidating, moving some things around, and and uh, I ended up staying in Chicago at our headquarters. But most of the people that work for me are in Kansas City, so I, in essence, kind of work remote. Even. I have an office downtown Chicago, but I, I don't. I spend more time actually out here working from the track than I do from, from working from from the office in Chicago. So um, I've got a I've got a building here, so yeah, I'm gonna so I, I want to touch. Yeah, I want to want to touch on that here in a, in a second too. So, 
Uh, I'm not done with the rail. I'm not done with the railroad stuff yet. <laughs> okay. When you're designing wheels, are you changing? I mean, has wheels changed since the eight? I mean, some of the components have changed. How do, how do the wheels change, or how how has the engineering in the past 41 years changed for wheels? Well, it doesn't. It hasn't changed very significantly. It does change some in the materials and in the processing, and of course, with everything, you know, we're trying to keep our our costs down, and and uh, and then they we try to raise the quality so that they can load them heavier and things like that. Um, but the the basic design is not really changed substantially. But it's it's a it's a significant uh, design challenge in itself because not only is the wheel have to support the car and steer the car, but it's also the brake drum, the brake shoes are applied right to the tread of the wheels. And so really the design criteria for a wheel is more thermally related than it is from the mechanical. The thermal stresses from the braking are substantial. So we design different shapes in order to allow for the wheel to expand and contract with with the heating in order to keep the stresses low and to keep the failure. Wow. How long does a wheel last? Is it, does it have to be replaced often? Oh, they last about six years. They, they'll go about uh, 400,000 miles. And are, are they tracked? Are they, or do you just go out and you, and you say, oh, that like a tire, I mean, like a car, you know, that the tread's gone and I need a new wheel? Or is it is that somehow tracked by miles? Pretty, or pretty, pretty much. There are gauges that they use to, to measure the wheels when they're worn a certain amount and when they get to a certain level of of uh, of wear, then they're then they're removed, and they're replaced with another wheel set. They're replaced as a set: two two wheels, an axle, and then two bearings. Huh. My grandpa was a car inspector for the double nickel, okay. and uh, I so I uh, I think they call him cart. As probably for see forty years away for your time, right? So, car, he was a car knocker. I guess he would knock. He had a hammer or something, right? And he'd knock on something to see if there was oil in it. Is that how that worked? Well, the original bearings um, were friction bearings. They were not roller or ball bearings, so they had uh, they had to have they had a little kind of reservoir of oil in the, in the bottom and a wick that that applied the oil to the to the bearing surface. And so, what he was doing is checking to make sure that there was oil in those boxes. It's also a thing called a hot box. They, they talk about that. That's when it runs out of oil and it starts to burn up. Which was why you had to have a caboose, right? Well, they did help. Because um, the caboose but, guy would always uh, watch to, to see if it was on fire, right? When it would go around the corner. Right, right. So now now there are no cabooses anymore. So, and they have, they have a device that's called end-of-train monitor, which, you know, transmits a signal to the to the front to the locomotive saying that, you know, all is, all is good with the, with the air brake system. Um, but what they have now is what they call wayside. Uh, there are detectors along the side of the track that actually look for uh, hot wheels, hot bearings when there are, there's a problem. Actually, the, the, the state of the art now is um, their acoustic bearing defect detectors. They're actually microphones and they listen for the sounds and they've they've figured out the you know the signatures of bearings when they're failing, 
then they can even tell you what type of failure that bearing is having as it goes by uh, as it goes by on the track. That's cool. That's cool. You know, I I I wanted a caboose. I tried. I was a couple times. I've found a caboose. I got close to getting a caboose um, to put down at my farm. But boy, that would be cool for me. I could have a caboose up at the racetrack. That's what I should do. Buy a caboose and then uh, and uh, just build it right onto a big garage. And okay, that's enough about cabooses. And um, <laughs> I remember like it was yesterday. The first time my grandpa took me. Uh, down. He was retired. He lived with us, but he had been retired maybe 10 years or so. And he took me down. And it's one of my very first memories of my life is him taking me down to put me on a waving at the guy running the, at the engineer, waving at the engineer. And he knew him. And I got to just go, you know, down the yard or something in Bloomington, uh, the rail yard or something. But I thought that was like the coolest thing in the world. I loved it. Yeah, it's great. Great. I loved it. So, uh, yeah, you uh, have a um, new newer tenant in a building, I guess you might say. Um, so um, you, you just purchased. August, so. so, what was your um, thought process in um, in buying a uh, buying a building? You wanted to obviously love the club, but uh, take me through the, the the decision to say, "Hey, I'm going to go buy a building today." Well, I, I think it. I mean, it it started out as I, I bought. When I bought the Formula Mazda, I needed a place to store it. Um, and so I bought a trailer, 24-foot trailer, uh, and parked it over in the trailer lot. Um, and I would just work on it, you know, in the, out of the trailer. And that, were, and that worked fine for a while. And then I'd like to do projects in the winter, and working on car inside a 24-foot trailer got a little tight. Um, and the club started building the garages. Oh, this is awesome. So I bought one of the single garages um, and that was really nice. And then and the, then I saw that they had double garages. I thought, oh, that would be even better. So I, I got a double garage. So. <laughs> and then this building came up for sale. It's like, well, I had to have that, right? You know, that's plenty of room. It's just nice to, you know, if you work on your own cars, it's nice to be able to take it all apart and leave it all apart and, you know, go home. So that's it's just kind of a progressive. I don't think I'm going any bigger than I am now, though. This is, this is big enough. <laughs> yeah, but that is like that is like the perfect progression of, of everything, you know, from trailer parking to a single garage, double garage to a, to a building. That's cool. Right. Yeah. That's cool. How long have you been on the member committee? Uh, this is this will be my third year. I was on as a regular member uh, for two years and uh, I'm chairman this year. And what what was your um, motivation to get on the on the membership committee to, to begin with? What, what did why was that uh, something you wanted to do? Uh, it, you know, it wasn't really something I sought out to do. Uh, I was I was asked, um, and I thought, oh sure, you know, I you know, I enjoy the club a lot, um, and having been a social member and then a relatively new member at the time, I thought oh, maybe I'll you know, it would be appropriate for them. They'd be interested in my input as, a, as kind of a new member. So that's how I got started. Yeah. And how many members are there of the committee? We have eight. Eight members. How long is your, is your tenure as a member, as the, as the chairman, is that uh, a set time frame or is that uh, flexible? I think it's, I think it's two years. Yeah. Most of the, most of the, the positions are two years. Um, I think we're, we're 
kind of flexible. Um, so, I mean, because sometimes it's hard to get, you know, participation of the right type of people. And if we can, we can get the right people to stay for a little longer, that, uh, that's always, that's always a help. What's the primary function of, of the member committee? The primary function is, uh, assisting the club in onboarding new members. That's that. That's really where you know the, the the focus is. What we we try to do is is we'll take and get a list of uh, new members from the club, um, and they're very good about giving us a description of them. You know, oh, they're a social member, and he's got a boxster and tracks it once in a while, or or you know, this guy's building a Corvette race car. And so, what we will do is we will take one of the committee members and we will assign them to that new member and have them, you know, reach out to the new member and say, Hey, you know, we're here to help. Um, and so they, so they get kind of a, a member's perspective. Um, and, and we help them out wherever we can. And, you know, we try to line up, um, you know, the committee members that would fit with the, with the new members. If they're spec rate, uh, the auto racers, we've got a, couple of spec Miata racers on the committee, if they're GT racers, you know, or social members, we've got a social member. So we just kind of line them up. We just help uh, with the onboarding process. Then we'll, we'll also assist the, the management in giving them feedback of what we think, you know, might help uh, the, the club either from the new member and onboarding process or uh, anything else that we hear or uh, we could suggest it's kind of a member's perspective. How often do you guys meet? I mean, I'm assuming, assuming it's different in the past year, of course, but the, is there a certain number of times you guys meet or once a month? Or? We're, we're meeting now twice a week. I, I mean, twice every other week. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's just kind of as we get going. Once we get going the summer, we'll probably go to once a month. But we wanted to catch all of the new members that joined over the, uh, you know, over the winter and catch them early. Uh, so, plus we had a couple other ideas that we wanted to, uh, to push forward uh, to the club. So, we, and so we've been sitting at every other week now uh, for a while. And is it, do you guys meet in remote or are you meet in, uh, in person now? We've been we've been doing Zoom meetings up until last week, where we had our first face to face on Thursday night out on the patio at the club. It felt, felt oh. pretty good. Oh, I bet, I bet, outstanding. What other things does the things do you take to the? You had mentioned we talked about memberships and, and getting the new people on board and everything, and but you'd also member you know help the the um, administrative side of things. Do you have an example of what? Well, I, we we had uh, we came up with this idea of a uh, uh, of a passport. You might be hearing about that, that um, a little bit. Um, so the club, we, we kind of passed that idea onto the club, and they're they're taking and looking into it. Um, something to, that would have all the different locations, all the shops, and whatever you know, on a little book, and you would go around. Uh, you know, check it off to help people find all the different places that are along around, and it's kind of a self-guided thing. So we had that idea. We kind of talked about it on, in the committee, and then passed it on to management. Um, and then the other side is we we you know we we meet with with management pretty frequently for 
you know, even things like all oh, the new gas pump. So, you know, the new gas pump has got an issue with, you know, if you want to do it with your Apple Pay or, or whatever, it has a limit on it. So we'll, we'll find out, you know, things that are going on at the club. And when the member committee knows about it, then we can pass it on to the new members and, you know, pass it on to other members that we see. So it's, we kind of help with communication uh, between members and uh, management. Yeah, I did see, um, I left, I'm in uh, Albuquerque, New Mexico today. Pretty nice day here. Um, I left the club or saw, was in the club last night and saw the new signs up. There are some new signs up directing, although that was pretty, that was a nice addition, kind of directing people to where different things are. I thought that was pretty helpful. Sure. sure. And um, I, I like those those new things. And, and I like the new gas pump also. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's great. <laughs> And, uh, you know, there are a lot of nice things, a lot of, a lot of exciting things, I think, happening at the club. And I think they're, I know they're working very hard on up, upgrading the driver development program. Um, and you'll be, I'm sure you'll be hearing about that in the, you know, in the coming year. And it's going to be, it's going to be something special, which will be great. I mean, it, and it should be because we've got one of the largest, um, you know, racing fleets, um, you know, our, our turnout on the, on the racing is much bigger than any of the other uh, clubs like ours. Uh, so we, we, we should have a top-rated uh, driver development program. And the, the club is certainly moving in that direction. So that, that's pretty exciting stuff. Yeah, so we're recording this uh, April 27th. We've already had three Miata races, two Miata, two Miata races coming up the, this next weekend. We'll have three in the first uh, formula car wings and things race and, uh, GT race and cart race this weekend. So <laughs> it's, uh, and, uh, it's gonna, it's gonna be a lot. And, um, so the, the racing is, is, yeah, I can't remember how many Miata, 30, 30 some Miatas on the last, last weekend when they combined them. Uh, first race was, separate with the SM2 division, the SM division. I know that's confusing to some people, but if you go back and find some of the old podcasts, we dive into what's SM2, which, and I didn't really understand. I thought Spec Miata was Spec Miata, but we have two separate classes for uh, Spec Miata racing, and uh, one of the old shows can kind of detail that. What do you expect from a new member? So we've got, we kind of heard what we expect from the, from the uh, membership committee. I often say that our club is ours and we as members, just regular members like me need to take responsibility into what type of club we want it to be. So if we want it to be super friendly, super helpful, then we have to be super friendly and super helpful. And when we see someone we don't know, we go up to them, we say hello and, and talk to them. One of the things that my, my wife brings this up often is when we first started, we didn't know anybody and particularly at the beginning of the year, you know, I know, you know, let's say I know Joe and we're really good friends. I haven't seen him for five months over the winter. So when I walk into the club, I want to go sit with Joe and talk to him and, and, and catch up. And, you know, the friends that I know, and I try to really be conscious about, you know, saying hi to somebody new, you know, or inviting them over to sit with us, because I think that's very difficult because we, you know, we're trying to talk, we're trying to engage to catch up. And I know at the very beginning, you know, my wife particularly kind of felt, well, 
we would walk in and everybody knew everybody. We were the only ones that didn't know anybody. And yeah. it didn't take long for us to learn, particularly the cart, cart racing was, was fantastic and, and, and rally racing, which, which you did with us. Rally racing was, right. was, was awesome. And I miss rally racing right. a lot. Member committee, yeah. please bring back rally racing. Those things were, cause I think they were smaller and I think the, the cart, particularly cart racing is you paddock together, uh, rally racing. We all paddocked together. You know, we stood together. We went and had pizza after the, you know, at the end of the day and which is a little different than Miata race, which people go back to their trailer or their rental garage or their building. And same thing for a lot of some of the other racing. So my point is I really producer Mark and I both, we really, we joke around that we, you know, we always say we're the official welcoming committee at the cart track because we want to make everybody know that we can answer your questions. We can help. Um, I'm, you know, I can turn a wrench. I, I can point you in the right direction and not anything but a go-kart. I can help on a go-kart. Don't bring a formula car to me or some Porsche that I need to work on, <laughs> but, but I, I can help pretty good with, with, with the karting stuff. And so anybody listening, if you hear my voice, then at the cart track, then you come over and I'll, I will give you a hand and, and, help out so i guess that's a long way to prep for my question what do you ex what do you expect from the members themselves when they when they join well they, you know the it's kind of one of the interesting things about the, the club is there's different people have a lot of different expectations and you know, want something different out of the out of the club um you know and you know our connection is kind of one of the now, they know the, the sales guys, um, but they really don't know members. So we're kind of the first members connection. We want to make sure we're readily accessible. Soon they'll, they'll meet a lot of other people and they'll get, you know, all kinds of opinions and things like that. Um, but the, the, the thing is, you know, we want, we want to try to get the, get it so that they have as much enjoyment as possible out of the club. So, we, you know, we, one of the things that's, that's different, I think, in the last year or so um, is the onboarding process and getting them through the training and getting them out on track um, is much more formalized than it used to. And that's, that's really important to do to, to make sure that they get out on track safe. Um, so, you know, as far as what we expect from from members, uh, it's kind of it's kind of up to the, to them whatever whatever they whatever they want really um, as long as we can we can accommodate them safely um, you know we're we're certainly open to listening to whatever they're interested. In. Yeah, I, I do remember it was at my first day at the track. I came out and after I joined and Chris Kemp member, he brought me out and I had to go through the orientation before I went on the tracks. So I went through an orientation with Tom uh, Bagley, the one of our instructors then and got on the track. And then the next time I came out uh, was with the uh, Isringhausen, which a Porsche dealership down in Springfield, Illinois. And they had a, a day here. We went through an orientation there. And I do remember that once I joined and they put the wristband on me, I said, okay, well, where do I go for training? So you just, you're a member now. You just go out on track. I go, I don't, there's no formal training. <laughs> I said, no, go right. have fun. I go, and I, I remember it was kind of scary. My wife was kind of scared too, you know, when we first went on the track. Um, so I'm glad to hear that 
that type of training and more formality is is there. I mean, we, we did it safely. I mean, we had literally had two days, you know, the weeks before, you know, when, when we went through, but it, um, but I do, I was intimidated. I was intimidated. Yeah, sure. And, 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 you know, you can be a little scared, but you shouldn't be intimidated. I mean, that, that if that's the case, then, you know, we're not doing the training properly. And, and they've got it set up now really well. Full program where, you know, they, that they go through all everything. So by the time you're actually out there on the track, you know exactly what, uh, what to expect. And that's that's important, and this uh, it's actually all part of the whole driver development program. Yeah, so let me um, jump into the um, building question. So, owning a building at the track, what all is entailed? I mean, do you? I mean, from I'm going to talk about some logistics specific things. So, you own the building. I'm assuming you have to. In, you, you're paying for insurance, building insurance on your own. Um, and, but the landscaping is taken care of outside the building? No. I mean, I, oh. have, to, I have to have it done. Oh, so I you're... I do it myself or pay, pay somebody to do it. Okay, so the lot itself has to be taken care of for the landscaping. Okay. And there's like a homeowners association or, or, or something that you have to pay? Or is there... Yeah, we pay something to the to, to the club. I mean, some of the utilities and stuff are... are are through the through the club, so yes, there's like a homeowners association fee that you pay. And that was my next question about about utilities. So there are some utilities that the the club has in there, and then some you have to pay on your own. Right. Yeah. And access to your building, you get access twenty four hours a day through the registration building. Yeah, that's a nice thing. They're they're open twenty four seven anytime. So. And obviously you're there now, so the internet internet connection right. internet connection works pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so so far, two years into your into your building, do you do you stay there? Do you stay there overnight sometimes? I mean, some people do, or I I don't. Um, I I live in Flossmore, so it's only about a forty minute, thirty five minute drive for here. Um, so I don't have any really need to to, to stay which was kind of one of the attractions to this particular building. This building doesn't really even have any bedrooms. It's got a, it's got a little kitchen and, you know, kind of living area and kind of locker room downstairs. Um, but it's not, you know, it doesn't have a bunch of bedrooms because I, which is not really what I need. Yeah. I, I understand that originally that was all zoned commercial. So there, you couldn't build a building with, with a bedroom initially, I guess, um, until, until the zoning changed. I don't know if that's the, that's the rumor that I heard. That's why some of the original buildings never didn't have quote unquote bedrooms while some of the new buildings, you know, have full bedrooms and living quarters. And obviously the condos are all have bedrooms in them. Formula cars. Uh, we reach out to you when we, my son's dying for a form for a formula car. And, uh, <laughs> he's doing great in the spec Miata. Congratulations. That's awesome. <laughs> thanks. Thanks. Um, yeah, we'll see, we'll see how this week you know, this weekend goes. So um, hopefully, when this when this podcast comes out, maybe producer Mark will ask me how how the last last race went. Uh, he, so yeah, and hope go karting because I know we you know we've we spent some time with you down at the did a go kart track, and sure. um, my son's got three years in a row. He's got second place in the championship, so he is hungry to win a championship. <laughs> I think very early, the first one I told him, I said, no, your name's the, 
they put your name up at the clubhouse for winning the open championship your first year. And for some reason he says that doesn't count. So he wants to win it in the, in the, in the spec, in the spec class. That's what he, that's what he says. Um, well, so how do, how does, how does anybody reach out to, how does the, a new member or, or any member, I guess, get a hold of the member committee or get a hold of you as the, as a chair, chairperson? Uh, every once in a while and talk around the track, um, they publish our, uh, the names of all of the committee members and their email address. But, you know, you can reach out to any of the management that can, uh, can get you my phone number and my email address if you want to contact me or any of the other uh, committee members. We'll see you uh, are, uh, at the track and running around. The, are you still go-karting? Some, yeah. I haven't done any this year, but uh, still doing, doing a little, trying to do a little bit. I've got, uh, a, I've got an Ignite. Actually, I've got, a, got, I've got my, uh, my Tony carts with Yamahas on them are for sale. I'm trying to get, sell those. So those would be good carts for KA100s if anybody's interested in those. But um, I'm keeping the Ignite. Uh, I like, like that. And you have a, do you still have your fancy, cool, awesome carting trailer? Yeah, I'm trying to sell that too. <laughs> that do build that or have that built? Uh, I had that. That was a custom-built trailer. Yes, I had it built over in Indiana. And the reason being is, um, I actually have a I have a lift system in my garage, and so the it's a very low-profile trailer that I had custom-built to exact dimensions. I I only had a matter of inches to spare all the way around, and I jack it up to the ceiling, and then I can pull a car underneath. Oh, that's, that's perfect. That's perfect. So yeah, you're able to utilize all the space, right? Yeah. Very right, nice. Right. So yeah, it's a, it, that's, so that's a, it's a custom trailer. It's a, it's an odd, it's an odd size. It's not typical. Yeah. But, and then the sides, you can roll your carts right off. As I remember, you can roll your carts right off cart stands right into the sides. You put a lot of thought, right. you must, you must, you're an awfully good engineer, I'm guessing, because you design <laughs> you design that cart trailer very well, very well. That's well, pretty cool, and it looks nice well, too. It's a good looking it's a good looking trailer. Thanks. Yeah. Well, the, and the and the good thing is, is I, I didn't make any mistakes in designing the lift that picked the trailer up because I used to put a, a 911 GT3 underneath it. So fortunately, <laughs> it didn't fall. <laughs> yeah. Most importantly, the lift works. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. All right. Well. Uh, John, thank you so much for joining us here on the podcast. We look forward to seeing you uh, around the club, and we will talk to you soon. Sounds great. Thank you, You've been listening to Autobahn Country Club Podcast, where your host, club member John Graybill, opens the doors to America's premier auto sports club. Join us next time for Autobahn Country Club Podcast.